We are in a series of lessons called As You Go This Year. And we're focusing right now on Follow the Master Disciple Maker, lessons from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of y'all know what bracketology is? Bracketology. If you are watching March Madness and you have filled out a bracket, you know what bracketology is. It is about... You know, the NCAA College Basketball Championship. June and I don't watch any, hardly any, college basketball until March. And then all at once we get into it. And uh, if you picked Purdue the other night, you picked wrong. All right? I don't know how many of you saw that incredible upset. Only the second time in NCAA history that a number 16 team out of New Jersey uh, beat a number one seeded team. What an incredible game that was. Well, here at Hendersonville, we're not doing bracketology. We're doing Matthewtology. All right? And what we're doing is asking you to, to remember what is written in the various chapters of Matthew. And so I want us to begin like we did last week with a very quick quiz. Don't write these down. Just answer them in your head. And uh, let's see how well you're remembering uh, the first six chapters of Matthew. Question number one. In which chapter does the devil tempt Jesus? You got one in six chance. In which chapter does the devil tempt Jesus? And the answer is chapter four. Very beginning of it. Jesus goes out to be tempted by the devil. Question number two. In which pray, uh, chapter do you find the Lord's prayer? In which chapter do you find the Lord's prayer? And if you were here last week and you don't remember that, I'm going to be disappointed. And the answer, of course, is chapter 6, chapter we covered last week. Question number 3, in which chapter do you find Joseph thinking about divorcing Mary? Very strange thing, but which chapter is Joseph contemplating divorcing Mary? And the answer to the question 3 is chapter 1. And then question number 4, in which chapter do you find Jesus teaching about loving your enemies? Stan actually talked about how do you respond when people don't treat you the way you ought to be treated. So he touched on that. And the answer, of course, is chapter 5 from two weeks ago. And then our last question is this one. In which chapter do you find Herod the Great, furious with the Magi, or the wise men? I mean, which chapter is he so angry he ends up sending soldiers to kill the little baby boys under the age of two down in Bethlehem? And the answer is chapter 2. All right. I can truthfully say there is no one who has written a bracket for the NCAA tournament who is perfect. But do we have some perfect people? How many of you got all five of them? All right, I'm seeing a handful of names. How many got at least four? All right, how many got four or less? No, I'm joking. I'm joking on that. Yeah, I think, I think all of you, how many less than four? You know, that's kind of like the old saying, if you're here today, well, of course, now with online streaming, that doesn't work anymore. But used to, that would work. But if you're here, of course you're here today. All right. Uh, we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel. We're in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount takes up five, uh, excuse me, three chapters in Matthew's gospel, starting with Matthew chapter 5. 
And Matthew chapter 5 can be divided into three sections. You have the Beatitudes, talking about character in the very beginning of the sermon. You have the influence of Jesus saying we're salt and we're light. And then he goes to kind of the primary part of chapter 5, which has to do with true righteousness. You've heard it said in the law, this, but I say unto you, if you're going to follow me, you've got to approach it this way. And so you've got several different topics that Jesus addresses there in chapter 5. You go to chapter 6 and you have almost the same thing. You have three subjects. The last two very connected to each other, just on kind of opposite sides of the coin. He begins with spiritual habits of where he says, how do you give? How do you pray? How do you fast? Do you make a big deal of it? Do you want to do it because people see you and they're like, wow, look how spiritual he or she is? Or do you do it because you want to serve God, therefore you do it in secret so that he will reward you in secret? Uh, Next is wealth. What do you do if God's blessed you with a lot of wealth? How do you handle that? Where do you store up your treasures? I mean, Jesus talks about that. And then he ends with, what do you do when you don't have wealth? What do you do when you can't pay your bills, when you're not sure where the next meal is coming from? I mean, how do you handle that? And Jesus says, listen, just seek first the kingdom of God, and God will take care of your needs. Now, let me say that, needs, not wants. You know, oftentimes we confuse those two. We, we want but it's not necessarily something we need. And so we move now to chapter 7. And chapter 7, I'm going to break it down into three sections as well. And he begins, and I'm going to focus primarily on the first one, which William read from just a few moments ago, which is discernment in judging, Matthew 7, 1 through 11. Now, why does Jesus stop? I mean, he's, he's, he's talking about money. He's talking about spiritual habits. He's talking about when you don't have money. And then all at once he turns, of all things, to the subject of judging. Why? Now, I think to understand it, you've got to go back to the beginning of the sermon. In chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Why scribes and Pharisees? What is it about this group of people? Scribes are people simply in the first century who copied the Bible. That's what a scribe was. You had to have professional people to make copies of of the Torah, of the law, of the prophets, of the writings. And so you had these scribes who that's what they did all day long. But because they were constantly writing scripture, they became very knowledgeable in scripture. And so they became teachers in the community. And then we've all heard of the Pharisees, the separated ones. The ones who thought everybody else was simply being too lenient with the law. We're going to be people who are serious about it. And of course, unfortunately, legalism took over. But what is it about them? And all you have to do is just kind of read through the life of Jesus to see what it was about them. Matthew 11, verse 20. Here's what Jesus said about them. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. But they, the Pharisees and the scribes, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And of course, we know none of that's true. But those are the accusations the Pharisees and the scribes are making of Jesus. You turn over to the next chapter. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, another name for Satan, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. I mean, here's Jesus setting people free from demon possession. And what do the Pharisees say? He's only doing it because Satan's empowering him to do it. Ouch. By the way, 
this one prompted Jesus to say, you better be careful. Because you end up blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you're going to go over a ledge for which there's no return. Turn over to John. You have the story that we're all familiar with of a woman who's caught in adultery, who's brought to Jesus. And, of course, they lay out the accusation. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. Of course, where's the guy? He's nowhere to be found. But the law says they should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus, of course, responded after riding in the dirt, saying, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, one by one, they all began to walk away. And Jesus stood up and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Katakrino. Interesting little word. Krino is the word for judge. You add the kata on it. Kata means to judge down, to, to, to condemn someone. And Jesus says, where are they? Has no one judged you down? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, then neither do I judge you down. But you need to leave your life of sin. I don't like necessarily the ESV, and from now on, sin no more. That's not what he's trying to say. He's saying, simply saying to her, you've got to get out of this, this pattern of behavior that you're in. And then turn just, just a few verses in the book of John. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? I mean, of all the things you could have said someone in the first century, I, I don't know, you know what the bad words in your world as you were growing up were. You know, there were certain words you just didn't say. Well, in the first century, it was demon-possessed Samaritan. Now, we read that and we go, what's the big deal? Yeah, that one right there was as ugly as it got. I mean, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. You know, when I was a Freed Hardeman student, that's what we thought of Lipscomb students, right? And you Lipscomb guys, y'all thought that we were a bunch of Pharisees that Jesus condemned. So there you go, you know. But, I mean, you know, you're, you're a Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. And in light of all of these just constant accusations, constant attacks on the character of Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, as he begins a new section, wants to address these scribes and these Pharisees, and he says to his disciples, can I tell you the best way to get away from them? Judge not. I don't know how you can get clearer. I don't know how you can say it more simply. Judge not. Growing up, I never heard this teaching. Or if it was taught, it was explained away. I grew up in a time when to judge was a character of faithfulness, much like the Pharisees. Where anyone who wasn't like me they obviously were condemned to eternal flames. We were known as a fellowship in some parts of the country, maybe not where you were, but as the people who thought we were the only ones, you can fill in the blanks. I mean, we were known for our judgment, even though our Lord said, judge not. And, and when you look at that, you think, Wow, how did at least some of us, and let me say, I'm guilty of this. This is the way I was taught. It was the way I was trained. I thought what faithfulness was, was telling people exactly where they stood eternally before God, even though Jesus said, don't do it. 
He says, get out of the judging business. John 3.17, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But look at the very next verse. The verse we, we should have remembered. Notice what he says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, to judge down the world. That's not why he sent him. But in order that the world might be saved through him. One of the things that is amazing about Jesus is that Jesus says, listen, I'm not here to judge. Now, will he ultimately be the judge? Yes. And he, he acknowledges that. But during his earthly ministry, he says, I'm not here to condemn you. You judge according to the flesh, Jesus says. I judge no one. Now, if he, he says, if I did, my judgment would be accurate. But I don't judge people. And I want you to look at a verse that is just absolutely astonishing that I think we miss oftentimes. John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, oh, he's in trouble. He's lost. You know where he's going. That's not what Jesus says. Look at what Jesus says, brothers and sisters. I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You know, one of the things that's fascinating about Jesus is that Jesus never told a single individual they were going to spend eternity in hell. Not once. You can't find it. Now, did he talk about groups of people that would ultimately be destroyed? Absolutely. Did he talk about people who rejected God who would eventually in the last day be judged? Absolutely. But while Jesus walked on the earth, the last thing he did was to tell someone, can I tell you where you're going? And the reason for that is simple. Judgment and salvation doesn't work together. Brian was doing the talk a while ago. Brian and I went to the same graduate school. And several years ago, Brian, I was in West Tennessee, and Brian would get a chuckle out of this, but I'd been invited to speak on a television program that answers Bible questions. And so I'd driven to uh, the little town in West Tennessee where they would film those programs, and and, and the person who led that particular program, I had never met him before. And so he walks up to me and he says, hey, Les, he says, I understand that you go to a certain school in Memphis. I said, I do. And then here's what he said to me. He said, I wouldn't give you one thin dime for that school. I didn't become his best friend. I mean, I just sat there kind of stunned. I'm like, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. I've studied under some of the best teachers and professors and, and people in my life that, I mean, have blessed my life and, and, and taught me the way of the Lord. And here he was passing judgment on the school that Brian and I was going to. I wouldn't give you a thin dime for that school. And I mean, it just it shut the door. I mean, I, I can still tell you the brother's name, but he doesn't bring up warm and fuzzy feelings. Why? Because he immediately shut the door to ever having a relationship with me. Because of this incredible, arrogant attitude that he was able to pronounce judgment on even institutions. 
And so we need to realize, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. And then he tells us why. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use. Can I ask you a simple question? How do you want Jesus to judge you? Do you want him to use a real strict measure or a real lenient measure? And I'm telling you right now, I'm on the lenient side. I'm on the side that says, Lord, I hope you're gracious. I hope you understand. I hope you know the struggles. I hope you can relate. God, I hope. And here's Jesus saying, that's what's going to happen. Romans 2.1 tells us why that's the case. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. In other words, he says, when we begin to judge the sins of others, we are only condemning ourselves because all of us, all of us are sinners. As the old saying goes, when I point a finger at you, I've got three fingers pointing right back at me. And so here's Jesus saying, you need to realize what you're doing. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that's in your own. See, the biggest problem Les Chapman has is I can't, I can't see clearly some of my own faults. I, I see some of them. And, and June helps me with some of them. But seriously, there are others I'm sure that are there that I'm just as ignorant of as I can be. And Jesus is just shaking his head going, Les, get the log out of your eye. Focus on you before you begin to nitpick those little specks out of everybody else's eyes. You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And I don't know, again, how to put it as simple as I can. We are not the judge. None of us are. And that's the point that Jesus is making. While he was on the earth, he was not yet the judge. He would eventually become the judge, proven so by the resurrection from the dead. But he said, that's not my role right now. And by the way, that's not any of our roles. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Can you imagine going in front of the traffic court? A whole bunch of you there, all of you with, with speeding tickets. And the judge, you know, asks all of you to stand, and one by one, how do you plead, how do you plead, how do you plead? And he gets down to me, and I say, well, judge, I'm guilty, but I'm not nearly as guilty as he is. In fact, throw the book at him. I can't believe. And, you know, and I go up, and I start dressing down, judging down someone with a judge sitting in the judge. What, what do you think he's going to do to me? I mean, he's going to hold me in contempt of court. Why? I'm not the judge. None of us are. Now, it, it, that doesn't mean we don't use common sense. That doesn't mean that we don't use wisdom. It means that we don't have the right to judge someone's eternal well-being. And there's a reason for that. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Again, passages I never heard growing up. Before the Lord comes. Who, who is that? That's Jesus who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Jesus knows everything about me. 
He even knows the intent of my heart. I don't even know that all the time. He does. Therefore, he's a righteous judge. But none of us can know that. And that's why we need to let him be the judge. But let me very quickly say, but don't throw caution to the wind. I mean, Jesus quickly moves to say that in the text. Look at what he says. He says, you've got to use wisdom and discernment. You don't give dogs what is holy. You don't throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample you underfoot and turn to attack you. These were just sayings in the first century to say, listen, use common sense. In other words, to say don't judge eternally doesn't mean that we don't make judgment calls every day. We all do that. And so Jesus is saying, listen, but you don't throw your pearls in front of pigs. You don't make a foolish decision. When I say don't judge, he's talking about people's character, people's motives, people's eternal destiny. Give people the benefit of the doubt and love them. Treat them like you would someone who was treating you that way. Well, we'll see that here in a moment. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. It's fascinating what he turns to. This seems all so out of place. I mean, he talks about judgment. He talks about discernment. And then he says, okay, now just ask. Ask what? Now, why? of course, anything could be true in this sense of God because God is our Heavenly Father. I think what he's talking about here is discernment, the wisdom to know how to make a decision when you're looking at someone. He goes on, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks will be open to you. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What's fascinating is that Luke's gospel, in the place of good things, puts the Holy Spirit. And I think he does that because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us discernment to treat people the way we ought to treat them. And so James, summarizing this, I think, says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And he's going to give it to you generously. He then moves to the second part, which is the conclusion of the sermon. Now, most of us won't notice that, but it's fascinating, the sandwich that Jesus uses. A sandwich is where, you know, you got a piece of bread here, a piece of bread here, and then the filling in the middle. Well, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Notice Matthew 5, 17. You have the prologue, which is the Beatitudes and the, the salt and light. And then he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. Watch how they are fulfilled, because that's how he finishes the sermon. Notice Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. How do you fulfill them? I treat you the way true Hugh treats me. I, I treat him the way I want to be treated, and he treats me the way he wants to be treated. In fact, the way Paul would describe it is when you love your neighbor as yourself, that's how you fulfill the prophets. In other words, just treat people the way you want to be treated. And then with that, Jesus says, all right, let's extend the invitation. And what's amazing is he does it in a series of little choices you got to make. And boy, just one after the other, you got one of two choices. Notice what he says. Number one, you can go in the narrow gate or you can go in the wide gate. 
You can take the easy pathway where people go to destruction, or you can take the narrow path that leads to life. Your choice. When it comes to listening to teachers, you need to make sure you listen to healthy ones, not false teachers. He says, how do you know they're false teachers? Look at their fruit. Healthy trees have good fruit. Unhealthy diseased tree, they have bad fruit. You need to choose. Who are you listening to? Base it on their fruit. And he says, by the way, the one who hears and obeys, that's the one who enters the kingdom of heaven. Not those who just say, Lord, Lord, but then don't do anything. You got a choice. You can either hear it and do it or just hear it and let it go in one ear and out the other. And then the last invitation is the one that we all grew up with as kids if you went to vacation Bible school. How many of you remember this one? Wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built... A... Come on, y'all, joint. No, I'm joking. A lot of you know the song, though. You see, if you listen to Jesus and follow him, you build your life on a, on a rock. You don't. You build your life on sand. And when the storms of life come... It all comes crashing in. And so he extends the invitation. And that invitation is extended today. As we go out today, I want to simply ask you once again, be reading in your little booklets. I hope you have some. We put some out again this morning out here and in the back. If there are none available, please see me and I'll get you one. Read Matthew 8. Jot down questions. Jot down notes, insights that God gives you. Number two, please continue to pray for those in our community who don't know Jesus. I hope that this becomes a regular part of your prayer life. I need it to be a regular part of my prayer life. All of us do. Number three, let's take off the judge's robes. For some of us, it's going to be hard. We've lived a whole life being taught that that's what you're supposed to do. It's time to take them off and let, let Jesus be the judge and us just simply try to save people. And then number four. Let's practice that golden rule. Let's treat everyone, your spouses, your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors, even your enemies. Treat them the way you'd like to be treated. And if you have a need today of any kind, uh, we have shepherds who are fixing to head to the walls here on the outside. Some will be in the foyer. They have elders, little, little badges that say elders. We have them up here as well. Just find, seek one of them out as we sing this last song. They'll, they'll be glad to pray with you. They'll be glad to, to uh, set up. If you'd like to obey the gospel and be baptized, they'll be happy to set that up. You see them going to the sides right now. Just seek them out right now. As together we stand and sing.